I don't know about you, but there are certain elements of the cinema industry that interest me almost as much as the films themselves. And one more than all the others. Mini phrases like one man, the world awaits, or this summer. Strobe lighting, explosions, entire orchestras reaching climax. I'll sit by my computer, hanging out for these things to be released. And when they are, I'll watch and re-watch them, scrutinising every last detail until it's all committed to memory. If there's one part of the film industry that isn't strictly film that dominates my interest out of the cinema, it's film trailers. For as long as there have been motion pictures, there have been efforts to convince people to pay to see them. In 1885, a pair of German brothers called Max and Emil Skladanovsky bought some short films that they'd made to the Berlin Wintergarten Theatre, transforming it into the world's first official movie theatre. The very first movie theatres only had one screen, Audience members would pay about five cents and were able to stay for as long as they wanted. There wasn't the precision in exhibition that there is today. Showtimes were all over the place. It would be a smorgasbord of feature films with shorts and animations thrown in and it all played in an unbroken loop. Then around 1912, film trailers had their genesis. There were two men at the centre of this low-key revolution, although they didn't know each other. The first was a man named Nils Granlund, who was the advertising manager for Lowe's Theatres. Hired for his innovation in marketing, Granlund devised and shot a short promotional film for the Broadway play Pleasure Seekers, which showed rehearsal footage of the play. The clip was shown between films, and the idea was a success the low theatre chain began splicing promotional films into their screening rotation on a regular basis. Other theatre companies followed suit. The Nebraska Daily Star newspaper said of Granlund's innovation, An entirely new and unique stunt. Moving pictures of the rehearsals and other incidents connected with the production will be sent out in advance of the show to be presented to the Lowe's Picture House and will take place of much of the billboard advertising. Around the same time, thousands of miles away in Chicago, there was a man named William Selig. Selig, who they used to call Colonel, although I couldn't find any actual military service in his history, was already a pretty important guy in the film industry, even before this time. He was one of the first producers to expand filmmaking production to the West Coast, setting up studio facilities in Los Angeles, along with the director called Francis Boggs. Salig often gets credit as being the man who invented Hollywood. Early in the partnership, though, Boggs was murdered by a Japanese gardener employed by the company. Salig was shot and wounded in the arm while trying to defend him. Nothing to do with trailers, but a pretty cool story nevertheless. Salig shares a special honorary Academy Award with several other early movie producers, acknowledging their role in building the industry. 
Around the time that Granlund was shooting a promotion for pleasure seekers back in New York, Selig was noticing the popularity of printed serials in newspapers. That's a single work published in sequential installments, kind of like a print version of the serialised TV dramas dominating our screens. Selig approached the Chicago Tribune to collaborate on the serial that would become The Adventures of Kathleen. Chapters of the film were released bi-weekly, and the story was also printed as a serial in the Tribune. The Adventures of Kathleen, which is now a lost film, like a lot of other films in the silent era, wasn't the first serial film. It was the second. But at the end of each instalment, there would be a cliffhanger, putting the characters in some sort of danger, with a title card inviting the audience back to see what happens next week. I know that doesn't sound like much today, but how different in its fundamental model is that concept from the trailers of today? Have you ever actually put much thought into why trailers are called trailers? Makes more sense now, doesn't it? These promotional clips used to trail the feature films. In 1914, Nils Granlund would become the first person to promote an upcoming motion picture using the trailer concept for a new Charlie Chaplin film playing at Lowe's 7th Avenue Theatre in Harlem. In lieu of sound, the trailers of the silent era wanted to give the audience as much bang for their buck as possible. The trailer for the Alfred E. Green-directed Colleen Moore-starring film Irene declared... Dazzling costumes, adorable models, brilliant musical comedy and sparkling Colleen Moore in Irene, the beauty of Broadway. What more could you want than that? Then there are some shots of some scantily clad women dancing on a tabletop, although that's all relative considering contemporary attitudes towards what a scant wardrobe is. Sound changed everything. Wonderful pals are always hard to find. Al Jolson's The Jazz Singer isn't a remarkable movie from an artistic standpoint by any means, but it's one of the most famous movies in the history of cinema. When it was released in 1927, The Jazz Singer was the first movie to include sound. It changed film but it also changed the film trailer. The trailer for The Jazz Singer is a whopping seven minutes long and has a spoken introduction. I am privileged to say a few words to you in this most modern and novel manner. Privileged it feels like a because it's the first living... It was followed by footage of the film's premiere, complete with several voiceover narrated scenes from the movie. I'm going to show you a few scenes of what the crowd saw on the inside of the theatre. Now, there was a company that dominated the trailer-making business at around this time, and would continue to dominate it through to the 1960s. Over the course of four decades, they were essentially the only company making any real money out of the production of trailers. The National Screen Service 
was started in New York in 1919, founded by a man named Herman Robbins. The NSS took stills from movies, cut in titles, and sold the result to movie theatres directly. The studios didn't mind. In fact, a lot of the studios signed deals with the NSS. By the time the 1940s rolled around, the company had extended into poster and paper advertising, with contracts with all of the major Hollywood studios. Occasionally, a studio might experiment with cutting their own trailer, but by and large, the NSS dominated the industry, making money by renting their work out to theatres on a week-to-week basis. The company even had a distinct formula that it would follow, a montage of clips, a voiceover synopsis, and the names of the stars in huge font. Pick any trailer from the four decades that the NSS reigned supreme, and it's likely to follow that exact formula. And then the NSS began to decline. It was accused of conspiring and sabotaging anyone who stood against it. In 1955, the company was brought to court, issued with charges of monopolising the market as a consequence of strict exclusivity clauses in its contracts, which stopped competitors from getting work. While the court proceedings went on, many of the NSS-exclusive contracts finally expired. After four decades, there could be competition in the trailer business. The NSS was collapsing, and the studios were exercising more control over the promotion of their films. By the 1960s, anyone could make trailers. Many real filmmakers engaged in trailer making as a method of distinguishing their films from the formulaic NSS trailers. One of the first instances of this is Alfred Hitchcock's work on the trailer for Psycho. Hitchcock had become a famous personality because of his work on the television series Alfred Hitchcock Presents. The trailer for Psycho consists of Hitchcock taking the audience on a tour of the set of the movie, capitalising on his famously creepy persona. Good afternoon. Here we have a quiet little motel tucked away off the main highway and, as you see, perfectly harmless looking when, in fact, It has now become known as the scene of the crime. There was also Stanley Kubrick's trailer for his film Dr. Strangelove. Putting to death the NSS model entirely, Kubrick cut the trailer himself. Kubrick's inspiration for the trailer was a short film called Very Nice, Very Nice by the Canadian filmmaker Arthur Lipset. The Doctor Strangelove trailer was, and still is, one of the boldest pieces of film promotion ever made, full of crazy, frenetic editing 
and only very brief flashes of footage, suggesting that manic logic that the film is now famous for. Oh. Base. And then came the 1970s. No decade has been more significant in the history of Hollywood in terms of how the film industry is run as a business. Now that's an opinion of mine, but it's a reasonable one. That it's reasonable is also an opinion of mine. Young filmmakers like George Lucas, Francis Ford Coppola, Martin Scorsese, Steven Spielberg were the first generation of filmmakers to be raised on cinema and to have gone to film school. They were making movies that would change American cinema forever. And then the release of Jaws altered the landscape of film business irreversibly. There is a it became the first today. Hollywood blockbuster. Who has survived millions of years of evolution without change, without passion, and without logic. It lives to kill. The trailer for Jaws is very similar to what trailers would eventually become. It's over 40 years old. But you can tell that it's in the same vein as contemporary trailers. Adjusted for inflation, Jaws is the seventh highest grossing movie of all time. So it makes sense that its trailer would influence subsequent film promotion. It's a three or so minute mini-movie, relying on narrative to sell the movie, rather than buzzwords and star power. It outlines exactly what the audience should expect. There's a quote I like from film historian and scholar Wheeler Winston Dixon. Movies are one of the few things people don't get refunds on. The trailers almost go out of their way to say, this is what we promised you. I want you to flash back over 10 years before Jaws to the production of a small Western film called Gunfighters at Casa Grande. The voice actor penciled in to do the narration for the trailer didn't turn up for the recording session, needing a finished product to present to the production company, MGM. One of the co-producers of the trailer, a man named... Don LaFontaine filled in and lent his own voice. MGM liked his work, and LaFontaine began his career as a voiceover artist. Over the next 40 years, Don LaFontaine's work in trailers would become the stuff of a legend and earned him millions of dollars. He was dubbed the voice of God. His voice is attached to over 5,000 different trailers, leading audiences through three-minute story arcs. Whether it be Terminator 2 or Shrek, Don LaFontaine is that guy from the trailer who always said... In a world, in the year 2017, in a time... Of tradition in a city where anything can happen in a war that isn't his. Every day in New York City, says LaFontaine of the classic phrase, 
we have to very rapidly establish the world we're transporting them to. That's very easily done by saying, in a world where violence rules, or in a world where men are slaves and women are the conquerors. You very rapidly set the scene. And inadvertently, the presence of Don LaFontaine had created yet another template for movie trailers. Trailers, like the film industry itself, run in trends. These mini-movies, they're designed to evoke a response in you that will coerce you into paying money for a ticket. In the past, sometimes all it took was for someone telling you that a film was great. In the trailer for the 1938 version of A Christmas Carol, the actor Lionel Barrymore sits in front of a camera, smokes a pipe, and does exactly that. Walt Disney himself did something similar for the trailer for Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs back in 1937. Imagine Leonardo DiCaprio sitting back, smoking a pipe, and spruiking his latest flick directly to camera. Nowadays, trailer companies are somewhat more manipulative. Studios outsource trailer production to boutique editing houses focused exclusively on film advertisement. In an interview with online magazine NPL, Lee Harry from the trailer production company Buddha Jones outlined some of the everyday tricks of the trade. The turn line, that moment in a trailer where the music drops out for a single line of dialogue. The rise, the big crescendo finale most trailers ultimately build towards. The rise often follows a turn line. Hits, those pounding, dramatic drum booms that punctuate so many trailers are called hits. The button, the scare or joke that comes immediately after the main title reveal and ends the trailer with a bang or laugh. These tricks aren't going unnoticed either. You can find fan-made trailers online inspired by those very techniques. There's a wonderful trailer parody that reimagines Stanley Kubrick's terrifying masterpiece The Shining as a heartwarming father-son drama. The internet has played an instrumental part in the rise of interest in film trailers. There are trailer announcements on blogs and Twitter feeds, followed by reactions and reviews. There are videos on YouTube of people just watching a trailer. So trailers run in trends. When the trailer for Christopher Nolan's Inception was released, famously using the ominous blasting horn sound, What's the most resilient parasite? An idea. That sound was all we heard in action film trailers for the next five years. Hans Zimmer, the composer of Inception, commented, This is the perfect example of where it all goes wrong, that music becomes the blueprint for all action movies, really. And if you get too many imitations, even I get confused. By the time we got to The Dark Knight Rises, the studio sent over a trailer with that temp track and they actually apologised for it. They said, we put that Inception music in there because we didn't know what else to do, so could you guys come up with something else? Perhaps trailers stick in the mind because there's an art to them. I'll re-watch trailers now, like the trailer for The Man Who Wasn't There or the trailer for Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, just because there's an art to them. Those films were released years ago. The trailer for Ridley Scott's Prometheus put Scott's film to shame. 
The most effective trailers are seductive, but the best trailers are unforgettable. Film School was brought to you by realgood.com.au. That's real with two E's. For more Film School, subscribe on your favourite podcast app. In this episode of Film School, we used clips from the following. Convicts at Large by Ralph Forbes, 1938. Easter Parade by Irving Berlin. The Jazz Singer, starring L. Johnson. Don LaFontaine mashup from funnyordie.com. Marvin Gaye's Grapevine, the trailer for Psycho, the trailer for Jaws, music from the Irene trailer, the trailer for Dr. Strangelove, the trailer for Inception, and the trailer for Terminator 2. This was a Trixie Studio production. Find out more at trixie.xyz.